today's message. Come on. Let's go ahead and get this out of the way. Look at your neighbor and very enthusiastically tell him, wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Hey, let me ask a stupid question. Anybody ever made a dumb decision? Yeah. How many? You made several dumb decisions. Yeah. How many you don't have enough digits to raise for the dumb decision? Yeah. We've all made some dumb decisions, whether it's, uh, you, you, maybe this is you. You were sitting alone one night, and on the TV, they show this knife that could cut through a nail. And you thought, I've always needed a knife that could cut through a nail. And before you knew it, you were ordering 10 Ginsu knives. Come on. Or maybe, maybe let's get a little more personal. You saw this hairstyle that you thought, oh, that would look good on me. And you went, took the picture, and you got it. And you're like, this looks nothing like the picture. I think the hair does. It's just to rest the head and everything else. That doesn't look like the picture. Or fashion. Come on now. Come on. Listen, there are people. I've looked at them, and I thought, okay, they, they actually had to look in the mirror, see what they were wearing, and go, hmm, I look good. And then leave the house. Let me, let me give a public service announcement. Y'all, listen, yoga pants are not for everybody. People wear, some of them, I've seen them wearing them. It looks like trying to fit a 20-pound turkey in a five-pound bag. They're not for everybody. I know some of them, I just want to see how far they'll stretch. They're at their limits. They're at their limits. Quit it. But we make dumb decisions. We make stupid decisions. And while we can laugh about bad, some of those bad decisions, and they're humorous, they may be a little embarrassing, but there's some bad decisions that we make that carry a lot more consequences than a bad haircut or bad purchase. Are you hearing me? Maybe it was spring break 2012. Maybe it's that first marriage, second marriage, that third marriage. Maybe it was uh, you found yourself single, pregnant, and alone, and no way, no, no, you, you couldn't find any way out, so you found yourself at a clinic. Maybe it was the night you got caught up in a moment with, with, with that guy or that girl, and you gave away something you know you can never get back. Maybe that bad decision was a financial, bad financial decision that you're still paying for today. Maybe it was that first hit and you thought, what could it hurt? And now here you are years later battling an addiction. There are some decisions that carry consequences that we've made. And, and, and here, here, here's what I know. Almost all the bad decisions I've ever made in my life, Probably all of them I, that I've ever really made in my life, I made them alone, by myself. No friends around saying, hey, Kelly, you might want to think about this. Or, the, or none of the right friends around me to say, Kelly, you might want to think about this. And here, here's why I point that out, because here at Watts Bar Church, we are all about being real. Man, we're, we're real people, really. Well, get this, guys. It's not in your notes, but you may want to write down. Uh, real people need people. Real people 
They, they need people because we got in this room, in, this, in, in our community of believers, we got people of all different shapes, sizes, ethnicities, uh, financial backgrounds, how they were brought up, the way they were raised, white collar, blue collar, no collar. We've got rednecks. We've got Yankees. We've got Rankies somewhere in the middle. Uh, come on, stay with me. Uh, but we've got all these different people. But here's what I know about it. I don't care where you come from or what you're about. You need people in your life. Let, let me say it like this. You need people in your life that value you more as a friend than they do your friendship. See, some people like the idea of a friendship with you. But you need a friend in your life, more than one, that it loves you enough to have a hard conversation with you. Even when it's uncomfortable. Those are the friends. Uh, Amy Poehler, anybody? Come on. Actress, uh, comedian, SNL uh, alumni. She said this when she was speaking to a uh, group of Harvard graduates. What I've discovered is this. You can't do it alone. As you navigate through the rest of your life, be open to collaboration. Other people and other people's ideas are often better than your own. I love this. Find a group of people who challenge you and inspire you. Spend a lot of time with them, and it will change your life. No one is here today because they did it on their own. You're all here today because someone gave you strength. Someone helped you. Someone held you in the palm of their hand. Amy Poehler. In other words, real people need people. So in this series, Wake Up, your third wake-up call is this. Wake up to the importance of community, of community, of relationships. Um, Genesis 2.18 uh, contains this phrase uh, that God spoke. God, God had finished making his masterpiece, creating all these different things. I, I mean, just going off. And then... Genesis 2.18, God utters some words that we have not heard him utter before. He says this, it is not good. And I can imagine the angels listening on, what's not good? Oh, okay, who messed up? Who, who did wrong? But then God finishes it. It is not good for man to be alone. I mean, think, think of it. First time in history, Jesus says, God's, look, God's looking around uh, at everything he had created. And, I mean, sun, moon, stars, good. Uh, plants, trees, flowers, good. They're good. Uh, let's see, the birds, the animals, uh, the fish, good. Even mosquitoes, gnats, poison ivy, good. But then he looks at Adam over here by himself and living a life living life alone, no community, no nothing. He says, man, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for people to live in isolation. So you need to know this. We were not created to do life alone. We just weren't. That's not God, how God wired you. That's not how God wired me. I know a lot of times we like to think, oh, I'm the lone wolf. Man, I don't need anybody else's input. I don't need anybody's help. But I'm going to tell you, you were not wired. You were not created to do life alone. Uh, this phone here. here. Here's the problem, one of the many problems with this phone. 
Oh, you say my grandbaby? Yeah, that's right. Uh, let me get that up there because some of y'all missed it. Uh, so this phone gives me the ability to loosely connect with hundreds, if not thousands of people. I can follow people. I can see what they're doing, see what they're up to. I can even see what they're up to live. I can see their favorite uh, scripture, uh, their favorite quote. I can see what political party they're affiliated with. I can see who they hate, what movies they're watching, what music. And the problem is, while this phone helps me to loosely connect with hundreds, if not thousands of people. At the same time, it gives me the ability to, to not deeply connect with anyone. With anyone. Have no real deep connections with anyone. And while you may boast about having hundreds, thousands of friends on social media, when it comes down to it, who do you have that you can call in the middle of the night and know they'll be there? Who do you have in your life that you can share the most intimate details of the struggle you're going through and knowing they're not going to judge you, but they're going to walk you through it? See, just because your online presence shows you have all these friends, it doesn't show you your friends, the people that actually have you back. See, we're more digitally connected than we've ever been before, but at the same time, we are more lonely than we've ever been. Which is why this upcoming fast we've got that starts October 5th, the moment I said fast, I mean, I'm like, oh, great. Listen, we're not going to fast food. For some of you, this may be worse than fasting food. We're going to take a 10-day social media fast. And I don't know if you, I know if you're sneaking online because I'm going to have trolls just looking. <laughs> we will still, for those, if you're watching online, yeah, we'll still do our online live stream. And I'm, I'm, if you will participate in 10 days starting October 5th, 10 days, some of you will find your life a lot less stressful. We were sitting at the breakfast table yesterday morning and Sheridan goes, I want you to look what so-and-so posted. And I know every time this person posts something, it's somebody she disagrees with. And I, I said, Sheridan, why do you even follow them? Your life would be a lot less stressful. Well, no, no, I, I just want to take what I said back to them. <laughs> I'm going to slap that phone out right now. But I'm going to tell you, so we're going to do 10 days social media. That means no Instagram, no Facebook, no Snapchat, no uh, TikTok, uh, you name it. I don't know TikTok, but don't stop. Uh, I don't know uh, what, what they all are. But if it's considered social media, you're off, and we will know because God's watching. Uh, anyway, so, but God said, he looked at man, it's not good for man to be alone. If you will, me, will uh, turn with me uh, in your Bible to Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, don't worry. I'm going to pull it up here on the screen. Or if you want to pull it up uh, yourself on your phone, that's fine. But we're going to start at verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. This is the account of the first century church. The account of the way Jesus intended church to look like and what it was to, to be like. Here we go, verse 42. 
All the believers, say that underlying word with me. All the believers, what? Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, and to prayer. They devoted themselves. The Greek word for devoted, I even spelled it out for myself, but I'm not going to try to say it. But here's what it means. To give unremitting care to, to persevere in, or to show oneself courage for, to be devoted and constant to. What the writer was saying, these, these first followers of Jesus, they were all in. Their relationship with Jesus wasn't treated half-heartedly. It just wasn't half in. They were like, we are all in. It is something we will live for, something we will die for. See, it wasn't a community that was centered around football. I love football. It wasn't a community that was centered around shopping, around business, around your favorite hobby, whether it's hunting or golf. None of those things are bad. But let me tell you, our lives should not be centered around those. Their lives were centered around Jesus. They devoted themselves to it. They were all in. And look what happened, verse 43. And a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miracles, miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, shared everything they had. In other words, they looked at those that were coming into their community and said this, hey, your family now. Family looks out for family. We take care of each other in this family. And they share all they had. Listen, this is not that kind of community is not you just something you just stumble into. It's something that you deliberately create by creating relationships. By getting together. You create that kind of community, that kind of atmosphere. That's what I want us to do here at WBC. It happens in settings like, like we're having right now. It happens in settings like we do on Wednesday nights. It happens in settings with our, our women's Bible studies, our men's studies. Those are places that it happens. Kelly, can't we do these, just do these things at home? Why do we have to come to church? Listen, absolutely do those things at home. Absolutely have studies at home. Absolutely have community at home. But I want to show you what verse 46 says in continuation of this. They worshiped together where? Wait, that was, come on, that was a little lackluster. They worshiped together where? And they met in homes for the Lord's Supper. And they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Yes, have fellowship at home. Yes, have those. But I'm going to tell you, you need a time where you're coming. Listen, we just, we just have service once a week and then on Wednesday night. It says they met at the temple. They went to church every day. <laughs> every day. I went, hey, I, there was times I went to church, it seemed like every day when I was growing up. I'm talking about eight weeks for eight, eight week revivals. Now, some of y'all don't even know what that's like. Maybe we need to bring that back, Kate. No, let's go. Oh. Unless God's moving. If God's in it, let's do it. Um, but we need to remember what the writer of Hebrews said. In Hebrews 10, 25, he said, Hey, don't neglect. Don't forget the importance of meeting and getting together as some people have done. But come together, encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. He says, don't neglect community. Don't neglect the value of relationships. See, there are benefits 
to being part of a Jesus, Jesus-centered community. There are benefits to it. Do you know that? Membership has its privileges. Ownership has its privileges when you're part of a community. Here's one of the first ones if you're taking notes. You have refrigerator rights. Let me explain. If my brother Casey or my nieces or one of my other brothers, their family, if they come over to the house, they don't even, half the time they don't even knock on the door. They just walk in. They, if they want something to drink, they know where the cups are. They know where the ice is. They know where the drinks are. They just fix it themselves. Why? Because they have, we have that type of relationship. They have refrigerator rights. They want to come over and go swimming at the pool. Listen, they, they just show up and go. Why? Because relationship. But now, let's say I meet you today. You seem nice enough, but I don't know you that well. And you show up and just walk in my house. Go up and start raiding in the refrigerator, looking for stuff, sit down on my couch, grab my remote, start flipping through channels. We got problems. <laughs> Why? Because relationship changes everything. And one of the benefits of being part of a Jesus-centered community is you get refrigerator rights. See, as a pastor, one of the things they tell you, now this is me being too honest with you right now, but I'm going to. One of the things they tell you uh, when they're teaching you how to pastor, how to be a minister, is saying, listen, don't let people get too close to the real you. Don't let them in. They need to see or perceive you as a man of God, not someone real, not somebody ordinary or real. You know, here's my problem. I'm a real human being. I, 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 I do real stuff. Listen, I, I, I know uh, for 100%, I'm 100% sure during that game last night, when that kicker, the first time we punted, and, and went and tried to throw a pass, I'm 100% sure I cussed in my mind. I'm about 80% sure it didn't come out of my mouth. But, you know, it could go either way. What, I'm a, what do we say? I'm real. I'm real. We are real people. We're not trying to pretend to be some. And, and people say, Kelly, you're going to set yourself up for hurt by allowing people to get close. You're going to set yourself up for disappointment. I know that. You don't think, Denise, that I've walked through that? But here's what I know also. Given enough time, I'm probably going to hurt and disappoint someone else. And I want to show grace so that when I need grace shown to me, it gets shown back to me. Are you hearing me? We are real people. Real people need people. You get refrigerator rights. The second quality of a Jesus-centered community. You ready for this one? We've all got ugly feet. Some of them are uglier than others. Let's just be honest. And usually the one that's got the really ugly ones wear flip-flops. I'm just not saying. You know why? Because their toes are going in three different directions and they just shoes that swim. I'm just joking. Now people are going. He's right. He's right. Yeah. Those toes are, uh, are socially distancing. Those, so, those, so, <laughs> let, me get, let me get back on track. Here's what I mean. I know there's some things that you don't like about me. 
and I don't, there's some things about you I don't like. Can we be real? There, there's some things about each other. There's a, as much as I love my wife, there's some things about her I don't like. Vice versa, as much as she loves me, there may be at least one thing she doesn't like about me. And we've got some things that I think that's why Paul said this in Romans 15, 7. Therefore, well, I'm not getting too far. Accept each other. Why? Just the way, same way Christ accepted you in your ugly feet. Accept other people in their brokenness. Accept other people with their flaws. Accept other people with their jacked up feet. Why? Because Jesus accepted you right where you were. And then what, what happens when we begin to accept each other right where they are? God will be given glory. You want to give God glory? Quit looking at people like you're better than them, like you're more righteous than them, and ex begin to accept their flaws. Begin to accept their brokenness and allow God to heal them through it. <laughs> accept one. Come on, we've all got problems. We've got all, all got things we're struggling with. Let's get real. There are people in here struggling with porn today. There are people in here struggling with low self-worth. There are people in here struggling with lust. There are people struggling with anger. Losing your temper. There are people uh, struggling with suicidal thoughts today. People with, uh, struggling with the financial decisions they made. People struggling with peer pressure. We all struggle, even followers of Jesus. In fact, I'll say it this way. If you're not struggling, I'm not so sure you're following. Well, what do you mean? When I wasn't a Christian, I can, I can honestly, I didn't struggle with pornography. I didn't struggle with lust. I didn't struggle with sex. I didn't struggle with going out and partying. It was no struggle at all. I did it great. In fact, people that say, oh, when I was in the world, I just, I, I just didn't enjoy sin. You didn't do it right. I enjoyed it. But the Bible says you'll enjoy it. But when I became a Christian, guess what? Holy Spirit began to convict me of those things. And the struggle began between my flesh and my spirit. That's why I say if you're not struggling, maybe you're not following. Maybe you're not following. I'm telling you, we struggle. We've all got issues we're dealing with. But there's something special when we can come together in a men's or women's study group, Bible study. There's something special that happens on Wednesday nights when we break off into small groups. There's something special when Equip gathers for their worship in the woods and it's just them sitting around the fire. There's something special when you can share your real struggles with people and know that they're there for you. Knowing that you can share that, somebody's probably going to say, man, I had the same issues. Let me show you how God worked it out in my life. I'm telling you, there's something great. We've all got ugly feet. We've all got crippled feet. You know, here's the thing in the Bible. People with cripple, that, that were crippled, people with deformities, here's what was assumed about them. The people assumed this. They were crippled, they were deformed because either they sinned or their parents sinned. Therefore, they were cursed by God. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is found in 2 Samuel 9. Uh, a guy by the name of Mephibosheth. It's a great story. Uh, I encourage you to read, 
reading the story, but Mephibosheth was the son of King David's best friend, Jonathan. Mephibosheth was also the grandson of David's biggest enemy, King Saul, who was Jonathan's dad. When word got out that Jonathan and Saul had died in battle, well, what was protocol? And people knew it was the, 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 the throne, the people that were coming in to take over as king. It wasn't unusual. In fact, people knew it was going to happen. They would kill off all family members of the Palace regime, all family members, all those that served under them. They would kill them off to make sure that no one could ever betray them. And so word got out that, hey, King David's coming to take the palace, coming to take the throne. So you got Mephibosheth there, Jonathan's son, uh, Saul's grandson. And so the nanny grabs him up, takes off running from the house, and falls with him. And the fall must have been pretty bad because it says because of that, he ended up being crippled the rest of his life. So years passed. King David is living in the palace now. And Mephibosheth, though the once heir to the throne, is living in a place called Lodabar, a very poor, a very desolate place. The once heir to the throne is now living life as a beggar, begging for food, living as a social outcast. And here's what I love. David is sitting around. He's thinking about his relationship with Jonathan. And, and you know how best friends do. At different times you're talking, hey, man, promise me if anything ever happens to me, you'll take care of my family. You'll take, yeah, man, I, absolutely, you do it. And I think Jonathan and David had that conversation. And, and David's remembering back to his good friend Jonathan. And he says, listen, is there anybody left from the household of Saul or Jonathan that I could show honor to, that I could show favor to. And someone speaks up, well, Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, he, he's crippled and he's living in Lodabar. And David says, go get him. Go get him. I want to honor him. And there's so much more to this story we could go into, and I'm giving you the Cliff Notes version of this. But he ends up back at, at the palace before, before King David. And here's what I want you to see in uh, uh, chapter 9, verse 13 in 2 Samuel. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. A man crippled by crippled for life, rejected by society, living life as a beggar, but then his life changed because the king accepts him. And when the king accepted him, it gave him a place at the king's table. We all have ugly, messed up feet. But here's what's so good about sitting at the king's table. When you sit at the king's table, people can't see your ugly feet. People can't because the table covers it. The king's table covers it. They can't see your jacked up inness, if that's a word, because the king's table covers it. Some of y'all, that's a word, and you need to get this in you. You came in here today with broken feet and messed up feet. You came in here with some jacked up ways, but the king is inviting you to sit at the table.
Because at the king's table, you are welcome. And all those things that you thought everybody was looking at that made you uh, exclusive, made you stand, God said, no, it's covered. At my table, it's covered. See, the part of being a part of a community, we know we've all got jacked up feet. So when I pull up a chair at the king's table, I'm sitting by somebody that I'll say, oh, man, they got, yeah, we're going to laugh together. We're going to celebrate together. We're going to cry together. We're going to share stories together. Why? Because at the king's table, you can't see all that other junk. We're all on one level playing field at the king's table. It's a benefit. The third quality of a Jesus-centered community is this. We fight lions together. Together. See, we don't fight alone in this community. I'm just telling you, I grew up in a family that loved to fight. I did. I loved, I mean, when I say, you understand, when I say I love to fight, I love to fight. I would start fights to fight, but I didn't go alone. I had some of my cousins, my cousin Matt, my cousin Gabe. I had people that were just as jacked up as I was that wanted to fight too. And we loved fight because I never went into a fight alone. I knew I had backup. In this community, we don't face our enemies alone. We don't engage the enemy alone. You have got people ready to stand their ground and fight with you. See, you see, we... You, you need to realize you have a very real enemy. It's not your boss. It's not your teacher. It's not your ex. It's not uh, the judge. It's not a play. It's not any of those things. You have a very real enemy. And 1 Peter 5, 8 tells us who that enemy is. Be alert. Watch out for your great enemy who? The devil is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's your enemy. He wants to destroy you. Do you know why he wants to destroy you? you some of you need to hear me really quick. Really? Uh, listen. As, as a dad, how many parents we have in here? Your parents. As a dad, you, you want to know how to really hurt me? I mean, you can inflict some pain upon me, but if you want to really hurt me, you hurt one of my kids. You mess with one of my kids. That. I, I've never really seen my wife angry with anybody but me, except one time when she'd come home and some woman had jumped on our little Zion playing ball. And I'm like, thank God I wasn't there. There's no telling what, we might have had a riot on our hands. And the same is with our Heavenly Father. He knows, the enemy knows this, I want to hurt him. I hate him. He threw me out of heaven. He took everything. You know the way I'm going to hurt him? I'm going to go after his kids. I'm going to see if I can get to them. I'm going to see if I can mess them up. And I'm going to tell you, that's why you need community. Wake up to the importance of community. I'm gonna, I want to close um, with a passage found in Ecclesiastes. The writer of Ecclesiastes, in, in very, and I think it's five verses, is going to paint a picture of two different areas. First, he's going to paint a picture of what it looks like to live life alone. And then he's going to paint a picture of what it looks like to live life in a community. Starting with verse 7 of chapter 4. He says, I saw something meaningless under the sun. Read that underlined part. 
there was a man who, there was a man, I saw something meaningless. There was a man who was all alone, all alone. He didn't have any sons. He didn't have any brothers. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with what he had, with his wealth. And he says, for whom am I working? Who am I toiling? Why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This is meaningless. This is a miserable business. See, we don't know who the man was. All we know is the Bible says, hey, I saw something meaningless. There was a man who was all alone. He had no real connections, no real friendships. No, he, he was connected to a community. And then it says, and on top of that, he didn't have any family either. Why is that important? Because now it, it's a little bit true today, but back then it was, it, it was you worked. Anything you worked for was to, you left, you had heirs that you would leave everything you had to. You worked for it. You worked. Well, this guy is working his tail off with no one to leave it to. No one to benefit from all his work. And he says, why am I doing this? The voice uh, translation says it this way. He said, why am I working so hard? Why am I depriving myself of life's simple pleasures? This is fleeting. It's like trying to catch hold of a breath. It's a miserable situation. While he may have been financially rich, he was relationally poor. No real relationships. It says this guy's working and going off, and, and it paints a picture. Those two verses uh, paints a picture of someone doing life alone. But then 9 through 12 shows us what it's like when you're connected to a community. Look at this. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. And if one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. He said, listen, don't travel this road alone. There's hazards on this road. There's things that's going to hit you out of nowhere you weren't expecting. I know you feel like you've got it all under control. I know you feel like you're prepared for anything. But there are elements and there are things in this life that are unpredictable. And if you're walking this life alone, it's going to knock you down. And if you're alone, no one's going to be there to help you back up. Don't travel alone. Verse 11. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but can't, how can one be warm alone? This is a message about spooning. Um, not, not really. <laughs> just talking there. Here's what's, how many know this world can get cold like that? The crazy weather we've been having it doesn't surprise me when it's 85 degrees one minute and then an hour later, it's 30 degrees spitting ice. That's how life can be. You can be going along, man. Your things are good. You're in the sun. But then all of a sudden, life turns cold. And he says, don't put yourself in a position where you've got no one there to keep you warm, to warm you up from this cold world. And then he says this, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better. Three are even better. See, he says, you can be going down this road. Things are looking good. You go around the corner, and there are three, four thugs ready to attack you. And, and listen, 
If, if you're alone, you are SOL. Surely out of luck. You're, you're, you know. But if you've got people with you, a lot of times, depending on who you got with you, you can walk around that corner and they'll look and go, no, it's not worth it. But if you do have to fight, you sure got a better shot with those other people with you than if you were alone. I'm telling you, it's an important principle you need to get is this right here. The relationships we build when nothing is going wrong will sustain us when everything is going wrong. The relationships we're building right now, when nothing is going wrong, when everything's good, those relationships are going to be the ones that sustain us when everything is going on. If 2020 has taught us anything, is that you can expect anything to happen. Things can hit you out of nowhere. Come on. Don't be traveling alone. The relationships you're investing in right now, when you feel like there's no need to reach out, no need to connect, I'm telling you, what you're building right now is going to have the potential to sustain you when all hell breaks loose in your life. When a, pan when a pandemic hits out of nowhere. When you get laid off or you get fired or furloughed out of nowhere. When the engagement gets called off and you thought this was the start of a new life. When that car sideswipes you out of nowhere. When depression lands on you and hits you out of nowhere. That second, that third miscarriage you're going through. Things you didn't plan on. That child that you love. That is the center of your world. And you start noticing some developmental challenges. And you know parenting is not going to be the same for me as it is for others. And life hits you out of nowhere. The news doctor comes and gives you the daughter that comes and tells you mom dad I'm pregnant I'm telling you the writer of Ecclesiastes says don't do life alone because life can slam you and hit you and you need people that will stand beside you pick when all you want to do is fall down on the floor and cry you need somebody to help you pick you See, the truth is, you're gonna, there, there are going to be times, if I can get Bob to come on up, there are going to be times when you need people to pick you up. You need people to hold you up, to listen to you, to cry with you, to encourage you. But can I tell you, there are also going to be times and people in your life that need you to pick them up need you to listen to them, need you to cry with them, need you to encourage them. The relationships we're investing in now that we're building on now when nothing is going wrong, they're going to be the ones that sustain us when everything is going on. And the writer ends with this description of there in Ecclesiastes, which is where we get our title today. For a triple braided cord is not easily broken. You do know he's not talking about cord, twine, rope here. He's talking about relationships. Here's what he's saying. Alone, you are twined, but together we are rope. Alone, you are twined. It can be easily snapped, easily broken. It doesn't take a lot of pressure to break it. That's you alone. And yeah, you may hold up under a little pressure. 
Come on, anybody use ever bell hay? You get one of those, and those those that twine seems to be holding up, but then all of a sudden, under the pressure, or you get a wet bell, and it snaps, and then you got hay everywhere. He said, "Alone, that's your life. Easily snap when pressure gets you, but together, we're rope. We're rope." Anybody ever heard of a guy named Aaron Ralston? Anybody? Maybe, maybe this will jog your memory. Um, James Franco portrayed him in a 2010 movie called 127 Hours. He wrote a book called Between a Rock and a Hard Place. Uh, if you aren't familiar with the story, let me give you the cliff note version. In 2002, Aaron, 27-year-old accomplished mountain climber, rock climber, was making a solo descent of Blue John Canyon in southeastern Utah. While hiking, he somehow managed to dislodge a 800-pound boulder that pinned his right wrist to the canyon wall. He was trapped against this canyon wall for five days alone. that he'd probably die here. He'd even recorded a goodbye message. He didn't have a phone, but he did have a little camera, GoPro that was recording. And he had pretty much resigned, hey, I'm, I'm about to die. But after five days of being trapped, dehydrated, no food, knowing that no one was coming after him, Aaron took a dull pocket knife and began to cut away at his forearm. And I read the actual account, his account of the story. Talked about cutting through all the meat, all the tendons. He said, but then I knew I got to the bone. I'm like, how am I going to cut through this? He said, so I used being pinned against that wall as leverage to break my own wrist. After being trapped for five days and doing a self-amputation, being hydrated, he set himself free and was able to rappel down a 65-foot drop and then hike seven miles for medical attention. So you, you may hear that story, watch that movie and think, man, he's a man's man. That guy's tough. But I can tell, can I tell you it frustrates me knowing that that didn't have to occur? He, he, here's, what, here's what Aaron Ralston said. He said, nobody was looking for me because nobody knew where I was. Here's what was, frustrates me. He wasn't hiking Cage Cove. He wasn't up here hiking Piney River. He was hiking a trail he knew was dangerous. He knew had some things. But chances are, he's like, I've done it a hundred times. I've been by my, I'm accomplished. I'm good at this. This is what I can do. And he sets out without telling one person where he's going, what he's doing. And what time they should expect him back. Don't we do the same thing? I mean, we put ourselves in dangerous places 
dangerous situations morally, relationally, emotionally, spiritually. And because we've been able to navigate safely through those so many times, we think, I'll just do this as normal. I've done it so many times, I can do it again. And then we found ourselves, find ourselves trapped. Pinned. And nobody's looking for us because we didn't tell anybody where we were. See, here's the truth, guys. It doesn't take you living long in this life to find, come to a point where you find yourself trapped between a rock and a hard place. Sooner or later, you're going to feel trapped just like Aaron Ralston. And my prayer for everyone in this room that it would not be said about you that nobody was looking for you because nobody knew where you were. You may be one community away from changing the course of your destiny. And I'll say this, that goes both ways. You may be one community away from changing your community or changing your destiny for the good or for the worse. And I am closing. You need this community of believers. You need to be all in. But here's the thing. We need you in this community. We need you to be all in. Somebody you're sitting beside needs you to be all in. Somebody that knows your story, when they see you walk in, they say, oh, man. I know what he's walked through, so I can too. They need you to be all in. Not half-heartedly doing this, not halfway doing it, but all in. Why? Because alone you're twine, but together we are rope. Stand with me.